We are continuing our series in Proverbs and just looking at some of the subjects Proverbs touch, touches upon, not in any uh, extensive uh, depth, but enough to give us a, a glance and not even everything in Proverbs, just uh, snapshots, just so that I can uh, say and sleep at night, said, have you preached through the book of Proverbs? And I can say, uh, yes, I have uh, preached through some of the the sections, and then uh, I don't think verse by verse would be a good idea through Proverbs. Um, that would get that would get painful. But I'm sure some Puritan did it, and uh, there's probably 20 volume work somewhere for us to find. So we're going to be looking at Proverbs and children uh, tonight. And if you have your Bibles, could you turn to chapter four, and we will read from verse one through to verse four. Hear, O sons of fathers, instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Let us pray. Father, we pray for your fatherly instruction of your children now. And so let this be applicable to us all as we as the children of God seek to know God more, better, and to obey more and better. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, if you were to major on the majors and minor on the minors, whatever that means, I still, after all these years of pastoring, haven't quite figured that one out entirely, though I think I understand the sentiment. You certainly would have no lack of information on children in relation to their parents and the scriptures. In fact, you could simply look at the book of Genesis and have a multitude of sermons on uh, child raising and uh, all of the difficulties and blessings that come from having children. It is uh, quite an episode of, of deceit, of failure, of blessing, of courage, just in the book of Genesis alone. And then you continue throughout the Old Testament, and there's no shortage of information, whether it's Eli's sons or, or whoever you want to look at. There is the good, the bad, and the ugly in the scriptures concerning children. And the book of Proverbs has a great deal to teach us about children in relation to their father, especially sons in relation to their fathers. We saw last week there are very specific commands, and we can extrapolate from that that certainly uh, daughters would be included and mothers would be included. But if a father is writing to his son, as the book of Proverbs is uh, set out, you will naturally find that language is used. Now, uh, one of the main distinctives we have as a Presbyterian church is that we uh, baptize children. We had a baptism here this morning, and uh, the water was quite cold. Uh, that's why the baby cried. I had suggested perhaps it was because the baby might be a Baptist, but the water was quite cold. And uh, there you have it. But the point is, we do bring children into what is called the family of God. We treat them as part of God's family. We believe that God put children into the church from the very beginning, and He has nowhere kicked them out, and so they are to be raised in a certain way. 
they are not to be raised as pagans. They are not to be raised as unbelievers. They are not to be considered as children of the devil. You are either children of God or children of the devil. There's no third uh, place to, to put them and go, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, they're children of God and the devil. We don't believe that. At least Presbyterians historically have not believed that. We believe that they are part of the visible church. They are part of the family of God. And unless we have absolutely solid grounds upon which to view them otherwise as they grow up, we will pray with them and for them. And the pray with them is the key. You cannot have family worship and say to three of the children, uh, you're not to pray with us now because we're calling upon God our Father and since He is not your Father, you shouldn't pray. No, when a child who is three, for example, uh, decides to pray to the best of their ability to their Father in Heaven, that is part of the family dynamic, the family worship that takes place. So you will see that the whole way in which we raise our children uh, must be in the context of the covenant. And you have to be consistent then with your theology if you do not view them as part of the covenant. If a child were to sin, and a child is, let's say, three, and they lived in North Delta, and let's say their name was Matthew, and you caught Matthew taking a candy and you take Matthew into the bedroom to say, uh, you took that without asking, I'm going to need to give you a correction. And a correction might be uh, uh, a little bit of a spanking, nothing too serious, but at least a correction. And then under the bed, while you are talking to this young man called Matthew, there is a twin who hears the word candy. And he happens to be under the bed at the same time, eating candy that he had taken. Uh, and that happened, of course, to Matthew and Thomas, where I was chastising Matthew for taking a candy without asking, took him to the bedroom, and Thomas was under the bed eating a candy that he had taken. So he also got a correction. Uh, and so what do you do then? Well, after you give them a correction, after you discipline them, to which we will come to later, do you pray with them? And if you pray with them and they say they need forgiveness... Do you say, well, we will have to find out in 15 years whether you can really receive that forgiveness? We don't know. I hope you're forgiven, Thomas and Matthew, but I, I don't know. You know, these are mysteries, these things, and you can go ask God on your time, but I'm not going to tell you that you're forgiven right now because we just don't know. Absolutely not. If a child is able to say, please forgive me, they should have the same grounds for assurance that we would have when we say, please forgive me. And that is part of what it means to raise children in the context of Proverbs. So I make no uh, apologies for saying how I approach the book of Proverbs depends entirely upon how do I view my children. And if I do not view my children as part of the covenant, I will have a different way in which I raise them. Now, that said, what can we say? Well, by way of introduction, I want us to notice that there is something that undergirds everything about raising children. And that is that we are to look 
firstly and primarily to God the Father in relation to Jesus Christ. You will get no better example of raising a child than the Father's raising, so to speak, of Jesus Christ. And many people forget that. In many parenting books and things like that, it is not something that immediately pops out. But I think it's fundamental. And one of the things that most strikingly sticks out to me in the way in which God the Father relates to God the Son is His declaration of love for His child. So just as I say there must be a context for raising children in the context of a covenant relationship, what does that actually mean? And it means there must be a relationship of love. If you have all of the rules and you have all of the discipline and you have all of the things that make sense and you figured out what time they should be home and what TV shows they should or should not watch and what diet they should be on and what clothes they should or should not wear and how much screen time they have, but there isn't actually a relationship whereby there is deep-rooted love and that the child knows that you love them most of those things will backfire. In the case of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can see several examples of how the Father affirmed His love audibly and publicly for His Son so that Jesus Christ knew that in this world as He lived under the guidance and care of His Father, His Father loved Him. In Luke 3.22, a voice comes down from heaven. Our Lord is being baptized. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Do you think that the Father just said that for our benefit? Or do you think that He said that for Christ's benefit as He was to live in this world under a lot of persecution, under suffering, with disappointments? Was it important for Jesus to hear from His Father that He loved Him? So, do your children know that you love them? Your children should be able to say, My father may not be perfect. I have a child here tonight. You can ask him after. Is your father perfect? He will say no. He better say no. Because then there's some other father in his life. And it's not me. But does he love you? But does he love you? That's something that we can all aspire to. Not sinless perfection, but does your father or your mother love you? And should the child be able to say that? And what is a sad reality of some Christian families in which I have witnessed, and I'm not saying they're bad people, and I'm not even saying they don't love their child, but the relationship has been structured in such a way where the child doesn't have quite that assurance for whatever reason Jesus received that from his father Luke 9:35 a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my son my chosen one listen to him Jesus heard those words himself that he is the son of the father in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 17 Peter recounts the transfiguration where we are told, and you can go to Matthew's Gospel for this, this is my beloved Son. So not only at His baptism, not only at the time of a prayer, but also at the time of the transfiguration, Jesus was assured by His Father, you are my beloved Son, 
with you I am well pleased. So the first point of parenting, if Proverbs is to make any sense, you need to make sure that your children know that you love them. The Father did that in relation to His own Son, Jesus Christ. We must do that in relation to our children. And however you do that is your business. It should be biblical, it should be wise, and it should be godly, but you should have a relationship of love. Now following from that, as we see in the text before us, parents are instructed to teach their children. So in Proverbs chapter 4, Notice, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. I think one of the scariest things that my kids hear is the rare occasion upon which I say, uh, we need to have a talk. Uh, And when we need to have a talk, uh, that is when I enter into the Proverbs world and say, hear, O son, hear, O daughter, a father's instruction. And so there can be formal times where you need to talk to your children. And then there can be general times in which you are instructing them in the ways of the Lord. This goes right back to Genesis, not just Proverbs, but in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, we are told, For I have chosen him, speaking of the covenant made with Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So a lot of the time in scriptures, you see that the commandment to teach is bound up with the promise of blessing from that teaching. Is there going to be blessing in the family? There must be teaching. Going forward to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Instruct your children. Instruct your grandchildren. The Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 4, one of the great declarations of every Israelite that was to be upon their lips. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we're told in verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, The teaching is not merely meant to be, son, we need to have a chat. It is part to be a natural aspect of family living. Can you talk to your children about the Lord? Can you instruct them? Or is that something that you reserve for Sunday when you drag them to church? Because you will be dragging them to church if all their instruction is from the pulpit and not as a natural part of family living. There are many ways in which 
to do this. You can find uh, very interesting ways. In fact, one thing that I did uh, last night with our children is we watched a, a little video of a man in New York and he gives his story about collecting cans and where he came from. And you could probably find this. And if you remind me, I can send it to you because it was really interesting of this man and uh, what his business is in New York and how he lost his wife and his three daughters because he got engaged in uh, trafficking people for money and then he ended up becoming a Christian and you hear his story and you you see uh, the verse he quoted was the last verse I expected him to quote. He talked about how there's this verse in the Bible and you know you're expecting John 3.16 and he quotes Ephesians 1 verse 4. I was flabbergasted. Who quotes Ephesians 1 verse 4? For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And he started just speaking like this Calvinist without even probably knowing he was a Calvinist. He's like, God would choose me. Can you believe it? And he was so happy and talking about heaven and where he's going to be and how he's messed up a million times but God has used him. And the point was, it was just an interesting testimony of an ordinary man saved by grace. You can do a whole lot of things with your children. But they need to be taught. Because the world is going to teach, whether you like it or not. Society is going to teach. Some of their friends are going to teach by their habits, by their actions, by their words, by what they value. And let's be honest, if our children talk to their friends online, it's not as though a lot of that discussion is about their walk with the Lord. That's just the reality. So you have to teach. I have never ever from this pulpit said that you shouldn't send your children to public school. That is a family decision and there are some situations where that may be your reality. That means you are going to have to teach your children vigorously. And guess what? If you send your children to Christian school, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to teach vigorously. And guess what? If you homeschool your children, I hope you're teaching vigorously the ways of the Lord. No one is exempt from the command to be taught. That is why Psalm 78 goes into this whole discourse. We will not hide them from their children but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and His wonders that He has done. Why? That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Why do you teach the next generation? Because you are concerned not only about your children, but your children's children. Do you know how many grandparents pay for Christian school, for their grandchildren? Many. Sometimes because the parents, for whatever reason, are not interested in paying for Christian school and so the grandparents step in or sometimes it's just financial uh, means that the grandparents have. But it is a delightful thing in a certain sense, though there are some cases where it's sad because the uh, actual parents of the children are not walking with the Lord. But you see in which grandparents have a vested interest in their offspring as long as the grandparents are alive. And that lines up with Psalm 78. 
Now in the New Testament, maybe you think, well, the relaxation of the New Covenant, the joys, and we can uh, take things easy. You know, those Old Testament saints, I mean, uh, we're not under that yoke and bondage anymore. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction. And that word for instruction is sort of like a worldview. The discipline and worldview of the Lord. That you're going to be brought up in a certain manner. Remember, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says in 2 Timothy 3.14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, just one quick point of application in relation to teaching. Fathers are tasked with this responsibility to make sure. That doesn't mean mothers do not teach. Absolutely, they must. But the responsibility is placed on fathers. And fathers have a duty not to be boring. This is just one point of application of many I could make, but I've been in situations where I would rather watch paint dry or grass grow than listen to the way some fathers do family worship. It is painful. You have a duty to do justice to the Scriptures. You have a duty to keep your children interested. Just as a preacher shouldn't be boring, right? Thank you. So fathers or mothers shouldn't be boring in the way in which you instruct your children. Now, whatever that means for you, you need to figure that out. But if your children are sitting there silently and disinterested, you may need to get some help. You may need to ask. I've seen times where the family just sits there quiet, doesn't say anything. Father opens up, just reads the Bible, and then he prays, and everyone goes, and no one else did anything. No one else seems to think anything, say anything. Our children's prayers, they don't always go perfectly well. Sometimes they pray against each other, and you know, one great occasion yesterday, one was praying that one wouldn't freak out when they go on their trip and this, and then they get a little bit crazy at times, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. And do they sometimes get tired and, and giggle a bit and then you have to yell at them and then sometimes family worship just blows up in your face and you're like, fine, everyone get to bed. You know, there's times where things can get... But the point is, it's family worship, not just a father boring his family. One other point of application in relation to teaching, the danger of moralism. You are also not meant to just be there to try and make sure your children are being well behaved. You need to make sure that just as you expect the gospel to be preached each Lord's Day and everything to connect to Christ, there should be a Christ-centered way in which whatever you're teaching is brought back to Christ so that in the prayers that are offered up, there should be a reflection upon something redemptive, not just how you thank God for this, that, and the other. But what has been redemptive about the instruction? What is it that leads us all to Christ? Not just, oh, you've been bad and you should stop doing this. There can be moralism in our teaching. We have to instruct in the ways of Christ. 
The next point in Proverbs that I think comes up quite frequently is correction. So with teaching is a type of correction. It's indirect correction. There's a sense in which we practice church discipline every Sunday in the sense that we are preventing you from going and doing stupid things and committing apostasy. We are seeking to worship God and protect our souls. So discipline can be positively stated where we are being instructed. This is more in terms of formal direct correction. So in Proverbs chapter 13 verse 24 we are told, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I grew up in a nominal Christian family, but one of the things is that sometimes I got a correction, a spanking. And uh, I always went and found magazines and stuffed them down my pants and went into my dad's office and I'd be walking in like this and I'd have like six magazines stuffed out of the back and like terrified and you know, it was my mom who sent me there because I'd been annoying her so much and she's just had it up and says, Kevin, he needs a smack. So I'd prepare myself. My dad was busy like, all right, come on. It was nothing redemptive really about what was going on. But occasionally he would say, well, Mark, Dr. Dobson says I need to do this. And I didn't know who Dr. Dobson was, but eventually I started saying, I hate Dr. Dobson. <laughs> James Dobson was the one on the radio who, you know, told parents that they had to give their children spankings. Well, here in Proverbs, it's not Dr. Dobson, but Dr. Solomon. And the language he uses is quite striking. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Which, if you think about our views of love and hate in this world, this really goes against anything the world would certainly think in terms of loving your children. They would say, whoever offers the rod hates his son. And here Proverbs is saying, whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. That discipline is part and parcel of performing your duties as a parent. There are no children so holy that they will never need to not be disciplined. Now, some children are a little bit, uh, shall we say, uh, less likely to need as much discipline as others. I do not believe every child needs an equal amount of discipline. One of my sons, he's not a twin, I don't think he's sinned for like eight years. I was like, this kid's perfect. Honestly, I used to be Barbara and I like, what happened? I think it's because we had four kids four and under that one or two of them just went missing. <laughs> uh, you know, you're trying to survive each day. But there are children that are a little less naughty, a little less mischievous. You, I see it among some of your children and I go, oh, that one's going to need a few corrections on the backside and that one just seems like a little angel. But you know, we don't know. There's all sorts of different types of sins and some are more obvious and less obvious. I understand that. But I also understand that discipline certainly does mean, especially for younger children, what will amount to a uh, physical correction as long as it is done not in anger and in a controlled environment in which there is a redemptive value and prayer and reconciliation after. But discipline can take on many forms. It doesn't simply need to be with a spoon, so to speak. There are many types of discipline that the Israelites underwent in the wilderness. Sometimes God did take away privileges from the Israelites. 
And so we can take the analogy and sometimes our children will be disciplined by the removal of a privilege. You look at the Scriptures and you see the way in which the Israelites were disciplined and you see that God used many different types of means to discipline them. The point is there must be discipline. Is it motivated by love? It has to be, otherwise it is not biblical discipline. And one of the hardest things for parents is not to get extremely frustrated in the moment and yell and get obedience just by raising their voice. That's the temptation for us all. But to not have to raise your voice and have your children know that they should obey because it is coming from a parent is really the goal. Now, not only in Proverbs 13.24, but Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14, we're told, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, see, there's the question of if, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. In other words, discipline is one of the means by which you are going to keep your children from becoming unruly monsters in a household. And I'm sure we've all met a few unruly monsters. They have no concern for respect, for honor. They cause their parents more problems in the long run because in the short run there was no discipline at all. And you will reap what you sow. That is a biblical verse, by the way. And if you sow to the flesh, you will reap to the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap to the Spirit. God disciplines us out of love. In Proverbs chapter 3, we see this is quoted in Hebrews chapter 12, but in Proverbs 3 verse 11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. The same would be said, do not despise your parents' discipline. That's a sign they actually love you. Your parents hate you if you are never disciplined by them. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. If you're sitting here and you had biblical discipline by your parents, it may well be that the reason you are sitting here is because God was pleased to use that discipline to form your character in a godly way. And you should be thankful. You know, there should be at least an amen in your heart if you were disciplined as a child and a lot of that wickedness was rooted out of you. And I've heard some of your stories. I think Ferd could give you a few of uh, some of the the mayhem that even went on in the Haida household. If you can believe that, I still can't believe it because I think they're perfect. But uh, every family has had discipline if there is godliness in that family. That is the point the Scriptures make. If there is godliness in a family, there has been discipline of some form. Now lastly, two minutes left. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 17. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. In other words, there's a general promise. Remember, Proverbs is not giving absolutes, that without exception, this is always the case. There have been some very faithful parents, and for whatever reason, things have not gone well with a child or something like that. 
And there have also been some parents that don't know their left hand from their right raising kids, did nothing proper growing up, and the kid later on somehow is converted and serving the Lord. I think we've all, in the mystery of God's providence, seen that happen. But there is still a general principle that we mustn't give up by appealing to all of these exceptions. And the general principle is that discipline of a child gives you delight. It gives you rest. He will give delight to your heart. The decisions that parents make for their children ordinarily have consequences, whether good or bad. Indulge your child, never teach your child, never discipline your child, never pray with your child, don't insist upon worship for your child. You can generally expect that your child will not follow the Lord. People get very upset by that, but that's just a basic fact of biblical spirituality. Again, are there cases that prove the exception? Yes, but that's not what Proverbs is trying to teach. Proverbs is trying to teach us that ordinarily there should be a pattern of teaching, of discipline in the raising of a child, and that will bring great delight to your heart. And really, is there anything in this world that would bring us greater delight than our children following the Lord? Isn't that really the great burden of parents? Now, it can become regrets for many who look back on a life and all they've got left is to pray fervently to the Lord. And that's something that Augustine's mother did and shows there's hope because she prayed and prayed and prayed and she prayed Augustine and Augustine's sister into the kingdom. So fervent were her prayers that some said, how could God deny her prayers? But the point is, one of the greatest blessings a parent can ever have is to see their children knowing and loving the Lord. Sometimes when you catch them and they don't know that you're looking, or you see something that they've written, or you see something that they've said, or you hear a story about them, and it's genuinely redemptive, there's nothing else that makes a parent happier than that as far as I am concerned and I'm sure many of you equally there's nothing that grieves us so much as when our children do not serve the Lord these are important matters they conjure up many emotions what are you to do in the case where your child may not be walking with the Lord you are to pray you are to pray you are to pray. And you are to make good use of the wisdom that remains in God's Word of when to speak to them and how to speak to them. But to remember that all of that teaching that they received when they're younger, it doesn't evaporate completely. I've seen some remarkable stories about how those elements and sparks of truth that they were given from a young age come back And that is the means by which God turns them to themselves. And so, when you are raising your children, you are not only preparing them for the immediate, but the long term. And if your children are not yet walking with the Lord, it's a reality we all sometimes have to face the possibility of. We need to remember that as much as we can pray and as much as we can get God's Word into them, that will give us the hope that God is not done with them. And... I could tell you some wonderful, wonderful stories to encourage you that it may be a dark season for some of you right now, 
But that doesn't mean that God will not, through some discipline of your child in very hard circumstances, nevertheless bring them back to Himself. And that's the hope of the covenant. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of God that you are to rest in. Otherwise, what else can we rest in? Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word and for the comfort and for the hope that You are the One who saves. And so, not only for our young children, but even for many of us here with children who have grown up, we look to You as the God of salvation, as the One who can rescue from darkness, but also as the One who can preserve in the light. And so whether our children are walking in the light or whether they have, we pray only for a season, are walking in the darkness, we ask that in the final analysis there will be great rejoicing in our hearts because they are following you and have turned to you and found that this world offers nothing and that you offer everything. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.